Well, hello, plant friends. Thank you for joining me again in my backyard. Here we are. It's early May in Central Texas, and it is got to be the absolute perfect time of the year for me. I just love this time of year. Everything is green and it's growing and the temperatures are pretty perfect. Not cold at all and not hot. So I just love this time of year. My kids are all about to go on their summer break and I gotta be honest with y'all. I'm really glad because this past year has just been so crazy weird between kids going off out of school for quarantine coming back to school then another one would go on quarantine um i can't imagine what it's like to um to be a teacher my heart really goes out um for them but i think that we all deserve a nice break from all this pandemic chaos at least i do and having my kids out for the summer is just going to be one last hassle. Hopefully we can reset things and with a little luck, school in the fall will be much more norm normal for all of us. All right, speaking of weirdness, you know, I had it in my head that our super deep freeze and ice storm that we had back in February that it was supposed to help kill bugs. But it seems like I am having a lot more insect issues this year. And I'm seeing bugs that I normally don't see. So I'm not really sure what's going on. That week of ice and snow and super cold, it did take care of some bugs. A lot of those that were flying around or didn't find sufficient shelter, they got zapped by the cold. But many, so many of them were able to hunker down and f stay warm just enough to keep from dying. And a lot of insects that lay eggs in the soil really weren't affected. Um, and we probably actually assisted in their survival because while we were so concerned about getting our plants all covered and keeping them all nice and toasty, we were also keeping the bugs nice and cozy too. And that is just the way it goes. You know, even though we were, we were protecting our plants, we were also keeping the little ecosystem warm. If the cold killed the bad bugs, then it would have killed the good bugs good bugs too. So there's always good with the bad. So overall, I think, you know, us protecting our plants from the freeze, that was a good thing because it did keep our soil and our plants all healthy. But then again, of course, it uh, also kept some of the pest and nuisance critters alive too. But as long as you keep tab on tabs on your garden, you can keep tabs on the insects. So far, I haven't had any really huge infestation that has gotten out of control. Um, I just have noticed a lot more bugs um, in my garden this year. As I walk around my garden, 
I am checking out things and seeing what is going on. If I see some insect damage, then I try to address it right then. Um, that way it doesn't become a problem. One of my main methods of keeping insects in control, and I do it a lot, is just picking off insects and relocating them to other parts of the yard. And I know that sounds nice and gentle, you know, like I'm relocating these bugs, you know, I'm sending them off with a, with a meal and maybe some pocket money, but uh, no, it's usually a lot more violent and it involves me taking bugs and then flicking them with my finger or picking them off and throwing them from the vegetable beds. I do a lot of that. You know, I'll see a snail and I'll just pull it off my plant and I'll just fling it hard across the yard and tell it to go live somewhere else. I don't know about you, but I love this time of year. I love springtime in Texas. I love walking around my garden and nurturing all my little baby plants and then watching them grow. It's just so relaxing and of course, ultimately getting fruits and flowers, that's just the icing on the cake. Checking on your garden is so, so important, especially as the temperatures start to rise. Heat is just going to zap your plants if you're not careful. Lack of water or improper watering, diseases and pests, plus the heat, ah, you can totally wipe out all your hard work if you're not out visiting your garden. To me, mornings are the most agreeable time to check on my plants. It's cooler, it's quiet, and I'm also more inclined to take notes of the conditions of um, my plants and the soil. Morning is also the best time to water. So if you're out in your garden in the mornings, go ahead and set up a sprinkler and water a bed while you are looking over your plants. My routine every morning is actually kind of a little exercise in mindfulness, you know, just being fully present and being in the moment and not being distracted by everything else. Giving my full attention to being outside and tending my garden and just enjoying the moment. When I get out there, I am in a mental zone of plant-based awareness. All right, I, I'm really not all that zen or enlightened or whatever. It's just more me being a big old plant nerd. I just really like being outside with my plants. As you are walking out in your garden, you know, look at the leaves. Do they look damaged? Are they discolored? Have they been nibbled on? Do you have blossoms on your plants? Are your plants starting to put on fruit? Are there any damages to the fruit? You know, while you're out there, check out the soil. Dig down a few inches. Is it too dry or too soggy? You know, what else is popping up around your plants? Do you see any critter activity? By looking at your plants and their growing conditions, you are going to be in a much better position to address issues early before too much damage has happened. Let me tell you, losing your harvest or your entire plant is so discouraging and 
really depressing. So get out there and visit your little patch or your plants daily and see what's going on. You're going to learn so much just by going out and checking on your plants. I mean, like I said, mornings are great, but you're going to see differences in the afternoon and the evenings. You're going to learn which plants are getting too much sun. You're going to see different insects. You'll figure it out if you're actually watering enough too. Like most things in life, it's really better to be proactive than reactive. So just get out in your garden and observe and see what's going on in your yard. It's always super great to just disconnect a bit from daily life and information overload and getting in touch with your garden and nature is a really great way to escape the day's negativity. Last week on the show, I mentioned that I had noticed some insect damage on my cucumbers. With a little more um, inspection, I discovered my little cucumber plants had a super cute but very destructive visitor, a small yellow and black spotted cucumber beetle. Cucumber beetles visit lots of plants like beans and corn and squash and melons, but they absolutely love cucumber plants and cantaloupe plants. The larva will eat the plant's roots and then the adults will chew on the leaves and they can also transmit um, bacterial wilt disease. So I was really anxious to get rid of this bug and any of its buddies that might be hanging around. Bacterial wilt is bad news because when cucumbers, cucumber beetles chew into a plant, a, a, a diseased plant, um, then they go to another plant they're, they're transferring it every time they chomp into the plant. And then once the bacteria gets inside, the bacteria travels through the vascular system. And as it reproduces, it gums up the system and it impedes the flow of water through the plant. So basically, it's clogging up the plant and cutting off water um, to other parts of the plant. And then the plant just kind of shrivels up dries and then it's dead and there's nothing that you can do about it so in an effort to get rid of these cucumber beetles I set up some sticky traps to catch them um, I want to try to catch some before they completely ruin my cucumbers I wanted to report back this week that my homemade sticky traps are working and in just this past week I have caught a lot of insects not necessarily the ones I was intending to trap but they are working and they really are covered in a variety of small black flies I felt bad about that because I wasn't trying to catch them I was really hoping to only catch cucumber beetles but maybe I will will catch them or fingers crossed they decided to get away from my plants but my cucumber plants are looking better all but one that was it was really really chewed up and at this point i just need to pull it pull it out 
If you are interested in learning more about my homemade sticky traps, go download last week's show. You can find the Plow and Hose podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I talk about sticky traps and how I made mine on the May 2nd episode. So go check that out. I also went ahead and dusted my cucumber plants lightly with diatomaceous earth around the base as a preventative measure just in case the beetle laid some eggs. So that should take care of any larva in the soil. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn about all the great shows and music coming out of our little station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Host Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Hose um, podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, please download some episodes and leave a review. It's super quick, doesn't take hardly any time at all. It's going to help others find Plow and Hose, and it lets folks know that a decent show and they should listen all right if you've already left a review thank you so so much well now that we are a good solid week into may we are starting to get in the slower planting season as far as direct sowing um, vegetables from seed it's still a great time to direct sow seeds for cantaloupe, warm season greens, okra, southern peas. You can get your sweet potato slips planted, pumpkin, and other hard squashes like um, butternut or acorn squash. And you can also still plant watermelons from seeds. You can always continue to put in transplants as you buy them. Transplants. Um, are great because they give you a jump start um, over seeds because they're already um, partially grown. If you have peppers or eggplants, get them in the ground. They take a little bit longer to get established, but once they do, they really can take the heat. We have been able to plant a lot of things up until now from seeds, but as it warms up, it becomes more challenging um, for seedlings and small plants to um, deal with heat stress. Some plants like um, tomatoes um, just won't bloom when the temperatures get above 90 degrees, but you still will want to try to plant some things from seeds. Yeah, just go ahead and and try. I mean, we have this um, ideal planting window, but, you know, just go for it. Uh, Conditions um, are so different from year to year. So if you have something that you're late getting in the ground, go for it. 
I will advise you to stick to warm season plants though. Um, things like cucumbers, beans, and summer squash. We really could have a mild um, summer, but we just won't know until it gets here. You can always put up some shade cloth to help with the worst of the summer sun. Plants also, all plants benefit from lots of mulch and of course, proper watering. Now, right now, don't bother trying to plant any cold season crops like broccoli, lettuce, or spinach. It's way too warm for them. Um, if you do get them to sprout, they just won't last long because they really do not like our summer heat that we get here in Central Texas. So if you have um, seeds for cool season crops, save them for your fall and winter gardens. Or my best advice, just stick to heat tolerant seeds like black eyed peas and okra. I am a huge super fan of okra. I absolutely adore okra. I think it's so delicious. It grows great and never disappoints. It is my all time favorite thing to grow in my summer garden. I love the subtle peppery green flavor and it has those round white seeds on the inside that just pop when you crunch into them. And for some reason, and I have no idea why, I think the point of okra is the very best part of the okra. My husband doesn't like the points, so whenever we have okra, I get all the points. And you know what that means. It, when I get all the points, and I have the most points, that means I win. So, um, I don't win at a lot of things, but I do win at okra. Go okra. And you can win at okra too because it's just so, so easy to grow. You just plant some seeds in the ground, add some water, and basically forget about it. It is really, really that easy to grow. And it has very few problems and hardly any pests that bother it. It is completely unfazed by our summer heat in Texas. You know, of course, it still needs some water every now and then, but okra is a tough, tough plant and is very drought tolerant. When it starts blooming and putting on pods, we actually go out twice a day to check it and we just go ahead and pick any pods that are ready. It's incredible how quickly okra grows and it's not unusual to see a pod in the evening that is like two, two and a half inches long. And then by morning, when you go out and check on your garden, that same okra pod is nearly four inches long. It's crazy. It, they are, they grow so insane. Really, the only downside to okra is that it grows incredibly fast, and if you aren't careful, you could end up with some gigantic pods that are so tough and big that you basically need like a saw to cut through them. You know, if 
when I, I'm going out in my garden getting ready to pick okra, you know, I'll squeeze the pod and I can tell if it's too old or not. It, there will be no sort of give at all when I squeeze it just a little bit. All right. More information about okra. Okra is a member of the mallow family. If you have ever noticed their flowers, you might have thought that they kind of sort of look like a cotton blossom or a hibiscus flower. They have the same kind of shape and the same um, texture of the petals, which kind of um, look like cray paper. Well, it's that's because they are all members of the mallow family. And mallows do really well in Texas, and they just love our summer heat, especially okra. Okra thrives with little care, and it actually tolerates heavy clay soils like we have here in Taylor, which is a huge reason why we are able to grow lots and lots of cotton around our parts of Central Texas. Okra is a perennial plant in the more tropical parts of the world. In more temperate climates like ours, okra is treated as an annual because it just does not like to get cold. And once the temperatures drop a bit, you know, like down in the low 60s, the upper 50s, it just can stop growing. And honestly, by the time that it cools off, I have harvested so much okra, I'm actually a little tired of it by then. Okra is a native to Africa and it is thought to have kind of spread through the world, um, through the eastern part of the world, through the Middle East and the Far East, um, through trade, um, through a um, Egypt. It was introduced to the southern U.S. and the Caribbean through the Atlantic slave trade. Um, okra also grows very well in Southeast Asia, and it's um, really popular throughout the um, Indian subcontinent, um, where instead of calling it okra, they call it ladyfingers, which... I can, I can get the finger reference. I'm not sure about if they have green hands over there, but anyway, it's charming. Okra can grow up to six feet tall. Um, most commonly, okra is grown for the pods, which are high in fiber, vitamins A, C, and K, and it's a good source of calcium, magnesium, and potassium. Young tender leaves can be eaten too. I've never eaten them, but supposedly you can use them um, in the same way that you would use dandelion greens. Another thing that I learned while researching a little more information for you guys about okra Dried okra seeds were once used as a substitute for coffee. It was um, promoted quite heavily as a substitute for coffee during the Civil War when um, coffee imports from Brazil were um, disrupted. So t 
to make okra coffee, all you have to do is dry and then roast um, the seeds and then brew them like you would a cup of coffee. And that's how you make hot okra seed coffee. I'm just going to go on a limb and guess here that it really did not catch on. Um, probably because okra coffee does not contain caffeine. I'm also going to speculate that it probably does not taste very good either. Because otherwise we would be able to find okra coffee quite easily. So... If you are so inclined, why don't you roast some dried okra seeds and then brew some in your coffee pot? Just be sure to let me know how it goes um, because I really want to know how it tastes. And I'm definitely not going to be making any, but if you're curious and you've got a bunch of dried roasted okra seeds, let me know how it goes. If I'm going to be roasting okra, it's going to be the whole pod. I'm going, it's going to be sliced up and tossed with a little oil and sprinkled with salt and fresh cracked pepper. And I'm just going to slide that into the oven. It's going to be, it is so good roasted. You won't even miss fried okra. If you're not an okra person, try it roasted. It's delicious. I know people complain about okra being slimy. If you try to eat it raw, it is quite slimy. But when cooked, the slime goes away. And to me, the key for slime-free okra is to cook it until it turns from bright green to dark army green or like an olive green. The darker it gets, the less slime it's going to have. I don't mind the slime too much. There are actually people out there who really, really appreciate okra slime so much that they are studying okra um, slime as a way to create biodegradable packaging. And I think that would be super amazing because it is such a great crop. It grows so well. And we do need to come up with another product to re start replacing some of these petroleum-based plastics. And a food plastic packaging alternative that is biodegradable and renewable, so awesome. If you cook with okra, if you cook okra with something acidic, like stewing it with some tomatoes, it's not going to be um, as slimy either. And that's because the acid thins the mucilage and it's less noticeable. A good example of that is pickled okra. Um, pickled okra, of course, is pickled in vinegar and it just, all that acidic vinegar makes um, makes it a lot less slimy. Actually, pickled okra is not slimy at all. So you can always stir fry okra. You can roast it. You can put it in a stew. And of course, you can bread it and deep fry it. It's all great. It's very adaptable. And because it's grown all over the world, it's incorporated into all kinds of cuisine. 
I am pretty partial to Caribbean cuisine. And one of my favorite ways to use okra, um, I found this recipe while I was um, researching um, Pride of Barbados um, last summer. And this recipe, I mean, it's just so easy and it's delicious. So all you have to do is saute okra with garlic, onion, bell pepper, maybe a little bit of tomato and lots of fresh thyme. And you just cook that down for a little while and then you're gonna mix that in with a pot of grits. It is fantastic. It is so delicious. Stewed okra, you know, traditional stewed okra with tomatoes and onions. It's great too with grits. Now all okra have spines. Some varieties have more than others. The spines aren't like big prickly things. The spines are um, look like peach fuzz on the pods. The spines are hair-like filaments and they can embed in your skin and cause it to get itchy. For some people, it's really irritating um, to handle okra, so they need to wear gloves um, when picking fresh okra. Fortunately, hot water Re totally reduces the um, the spines. You can just wash it off. Um, and if you get some on your hands and it makes it itchy, just wash your hands with hot water and it will get a lot better. As the pods get larger on okra, the more spines will develop. And the heirloom varieties tend to have more spines. The improved varieties like Clemson Spineless and Emerald are less spiny. And in my opinion, and in my experience, they're also more tender too. I've grown a few different varieties, including Jing Orange, Burgundy, Star of David, and Hill Country Red, which actually is a Texas heirloom plant. I think it's fun to try different kinds and different varieties of plants, but I've had the best luck growing Clemson Spineless and Emerald Okra. Both are quite prolific and they produce tons of tender and delicious pods. So Clemson Spineless and Emerald, those are the two varieties I will always grow. Another interesting relative to cotton and okra and hibiscus that grows well around here is roselle. Roselle has about a billion different names. It's called Jamaican sorrel. Some places call it Florida cranberry or sour sour or just plain hibiscus. But my all-time favorite name for roselle is jelly okra you know here in texas the name that we are most likely to be familiar with is florida jamaica or just jamaica we are likely to be familiar with it because that's how they make hibiscus tea or agua fresca it's a beautiful ruby red and very refreshing drink Roselle is different than regular ornamental hibiscus. 
They put out um, similar flowers to hibiscus, cotton, and okra, but roselle blossoms are cream-colored or like a pale pink, and both um, both pink and cream flowers have a gorgeous burgundy center. They have green leaves and beautiful burgundy stems. Hibiscus flowers aren't edible, so don't confuse the two and don't try to make tea. It probably won't hurt you, but um, it's not the same plant. You want roselle for the nice, lovely um, parts. Um, the part of the roselle that folks grow to eat or make tea, it isn't the blossom, but the calyx of the flower. The calyx is the part of the flower that surrounds the flower bud before it opens. The calyx is like a small leafy cup between the petals and the stem. On most flowers, the calyx is green. On roselle flowers, the calyx is burgundy and it's thick and fleshy. So once the roselle flowers start to wither and fall off, the calyx slowly close around um, a white seed pod. And, you know, all together, it's like an inch wide, maybe an inch tall. And, you know, after about a week when the blossom falls off, the calyx will completely close over the seed pod and form like a pointy tip. It's um, when that tip forms, this is the best time to harvest the calyx. Just snip it off with a pair of pruners. You'll want to remove the seed pod before you eat them, though. You can just slice the sides of the calyx and just kind of take out that seed pod, and you can save those seeds to plant another time. Roselle calyxes are wonderful fresh. They are tart and mouth-watering and they have a juicy cranberry lemony flavor and you can add them to a salad for like a little zing um, or you could add fresh roselle to like a smoothie any way that you would use cranberries you can use roselle so you can use them to make a sauce you can even use them to make roselle jam um, and it makes a great jam because they're naturally high in pectin. The flavor concentrates when you dry roselle. You, um, drying roselle um, allows you to save them and you can make tea or a special cocktail. In Caribbean countries, families celebrate the winter holidays with a beverage called sorrel. It's made with ginger and sugar um, sometimes it's made with mint any number of aromatic spices and sometimes they add extra citrus and they also will add some sort of alcohol usually rum but it sounds delicious and someday I'm going to make some Roselle grows well in central Texas, but it prefers well-draining soil, unlike its cousin okra that tolerates our heavy clay. So if you're planting roselle directly in the ground, just make sure it is mended with plenty of compost. That compost should be enough for your roselle plants. 
um, for the entire growing season. You really should not have to add any additional fertilizer. Excess fertilizer will give you larger plants, but you're not going to have as many blossoms if you give them too much fertilizer. Roselle plants love sun, so make sure they have plenty of sun and plenty of room because roselle plants are quite shrubby. And they, if they are happy, they can grow to be like six feet tall. Here in Texas, we treat them like annual plants because they don't care for our cold. So they grow flower, fruit all in one season. Roselle, they are going to grow all summer long, but they really don't do a, a lot of blooming until closer to the fall when the days get shorter and we have less light than we do in midsummer. So just be patient and wait for those flowers and wonderful calyx. Well, that's all I have for you guys today. I hope everyone has a great week and spends lots of time outside with your plants. Thank you for joining me in my backyard today. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.